and welcome back to the final episode of Ladies First for the year 2021 and the second part of the Supergirl retrospective. Diana and Alejandra are back with me. Hello. Hello. And in the previous episode, we mainly tried to contain it to season six and what we thought about the series ending, if it fit. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the series comprehensively, also its cultural legacy, um, the impact it had on current TV, and where we think that representation might go, as well as, you know, what worked for us overall and things we really didn't like overall. And I am going to once again remind Supercorp shippers if you get upset by people being critical of your ship and or fandom, do not listen to this episode. I genuinely do not want you to waste your time and be upset after listening to this. Please go do something else productive and or happy that you will enjoy with your time because life is too short to be angry about something you could avoid. And disclaimer. Second disclaimer. We are obviously going to be talking about spoilers again. And second disclaimer. Did I miss a disclaimer? I think we're good. Yeah, I think you got it. Okay. So Supergirl ran for six seasons. It was the first real superhero show on TV led by a woman since, well, we're specifically talking comic book characters, so Xena doesn't count. But since Wonder Woman with Linda Carter, it's been a hot minute. And that show really had a lot of pressure of a Supergirl was kind of in the shadow of Superman, always has been. Um, you got yeah. the feeling that they couldn't get Superman, so they were trying to go for a legacy character. But then they were also... You know, trying to do a female-led show. They couldn't get Wonder Woman. So they were really kind of taking a gamble on this. Now, they'd done Arrow and they'd done Flash. And those two were doing okay. Um, but then we kind of were like, let's take a chance. Let's do a lady-centric show. Kara, uh, Alex are our two protagonists quote unquote, and we're going to take a gamble because the people were casting at the time. Kyler Lee was actually far more well-known than I would say Melissa Benoist was. She, they basically gambled on an unknown for her. And um, yeah, six years later, here we are. We have multiple shows with uh, women, women as the lead, either a hero or the lead in some capacities. So that has been, I think, one of the larger cultural takeaways was that Supergirl proved you could do it, yep. you could do it well, and there would be an audience for it. For sure. Um, I think that, honestly, without Supergirl, we probably wouldn't have stuff like Hawkeye and WandaVision. The, the CW kind of Arrowverse gets gets criticized a lot, 
um, sometimes and often for good reason. But I but I do think that uh, sometimes people tend to overlook the fact that without the Arrowverse working, uh, Marvel uh, at Marvel slash Disney would probably not have made a gamble as big as uh, the Disney Plus shows because like things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff were very much off like to the side where like we can kind of deny that these things exist within the MCU. Uh, but now the shows that are coming out on Disney Plus, uh, two of which so far have been led by women, uh, are very much part of that canon and affecting uh, the canon of the MCU. And I, maybe it's a stretch, but I do think that there's a big part of that that, it, that we can thank the Arrowverse for and specifically Supergirl, like you said, there's an audience and Supergirl proved it even as much as people like to dunk on it sometimes because there are so many videos on YouTube like Supergirl sucks. People watched it for six years. You cannot deny that. Well, and I would I mean, credit where credit is due. Arrowverse tried doing a connected comic canon as TV well before even Marvel was doing Netflix or yeah. really Agents of yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I mean, even when like Agents of Shield started, like as like Alejandro said, it was like very disconnected, and it was more like mm-hmm. they were following to the beat of what was happening in the movies. But it, you could watch the movies and not have to worry about anything that happened on Agents of Shield, and still like get a good experience of the story. But now with the new shows, you're missing out big parts of these characters' stories. Like if you don't follow the shows, like you're missing a big part of like Wanda's story. Right. Well, and also, I mean, the Netflix shows are kind of a mixed bag, much like the Arrowverse shows. But again, they're still really kind of disconnected from the larger Marvel canon versus Arrowverse is all one larger connected canon. They went out of their way to show those connections. They had crossovers every year. So I think that's really... Arrowverse show that you could do it and there would be an audience for it. And then a step further, Supergirl showed that, yes, you, there's also an audience for um, a woman-centric show. For sure. Now, however, it was oh. a very white lady-centric show. Mm-hmm. So I think we're seeing the next steps of like with that woman of, okay, well, why don't we show women of color in these um, roles? Because every leading lady on Supergirl, I believe, yeah, for the majority is white. Yes. And I know somebody would like try to talk about um, the last two seasons, Andrea. I'm like, okay, but she's, she's, she's. White passing. She's white. She's, she's white. <laughs> I mean, Argentina is known and famous in Latin America for being like the white country. Or it's not major. It's not most like all white, but it is a majority uh, European descendants. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I this is part of where we talk about you know what worked for us in the series overall, and where we I think there were drawbacks. I think as far as queer representation, the show was amazing. And I think the show was groundbreaking on so many levels. They made the second protagonist an an openly lesbian woman. They showed her entire journey from the realization to 
coming out to dating to, you know, baby queer's first heartbreak to <laughs> rebounding, picking herself back up and then finding a life partner that did want the same thing she wanted. And she ended with, you know, the series literally ended with like a half hour lesbian wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they've just adopted a daughter. And that was, I don't know how much was planned before in CBS, but that was when it moved over to the CW. Like, again, uh, CW is very much a mixed bag when it comes to uh, queer representation, especially its history, like before Mm -hmm. the Arrowverse and and the Arrowverse before Supergirl even. But that storyline did start uh, and end in, in the CW and they handled it very well. I think the... The coming out story of Alex was very poignant and, and special because it's also a story about a late bloomer, which we don't see very often. Right. Someone who did not realize uh, their sexuality until very, very late or like not super late, but late in their lives. Um, I shed many tears <laughs> in that uh, with that storyline at the beginning. And I don't know. I think it's great. Well, yeah, what I really liked with Alex was they didn't just have her first girlfriend be her OTP. Like how many of us like come out and the first person we date is who we wind up marrying. I mean, like, come on, that's not realistic. (laughs) And like, even though that kind of came out of the circumstance of like the actress ending up being signed on to another show that ended up like being a really emotional and touching arc for Yeah. But it's also true to life. I mean, there are just some deal breakers in a relationship and whether or not you want kids is kind of a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And even the, the, the experience of Alex being so over eager and moving too fast in her first relationship yes. is true to life. Rings true. The U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> No, because also because she's so excited to to like and she's like, oh, my God, because, you know, when you come out later in life, it it, it, it usually happens that you have like a second adolescence and you kind of feel like mm-hmm. you missed something uh, in your actual teenage years. And so you kind of want to speed through everything. Uh, yeah. And so I think that works beautifully, even if it was like Diana said, circumstance. But what I really liked was it was like, yeah, you're probably not going to wind up with your first significant other. And then they actually let her have a rebound booty call with Sarah (laughs) from (laughs) Legends of Tomorrow um, in one of the crossovers. And then, you know, she kind of sorted herself and then she was ready again when Kelly came into her life of, okay, we vibe with each other. We want the same things this woman can be my life partner. Yeah. Small tangent. I find it both a little funny and incredibly endearing that both Sarah and Ava, um, Sarah and Alex, like they were the people who helped each other realize like, oh, maybe we don't have to like wallow in our lost loves forever. We can find someone else. And then they ended up getting married. They're Mm. like a few months apart. And, and obviously, if we're going to touch on queer representation, we also have Nia Nall, who was a lot of firsts, just yeah. period. The first openly trans woman superhero, live action superhero, just like period, and played by a trans woman actress. And yeah. 
that character got so far over that apparently there may be a DC comic or two coming out about her. Um, and the fact written by Nicole. Yeah, by Nicole Maines, the actress who played her. And the fact that it wasn't fetishized and it mm-hmm. wasn't super emphasized. Yeah. Outside of, you know, her sister being a dillweed. Um, you know, like if Maeve isn't in the picture, they did give her a couple of episodes where she talked about it. And then they had the one with the serial killer. But for the most part, she just gets to exist as Nia. There's not a whole lot of everything about Nia is a super special lesson episode. You know, I mean, they had to touch on it because it's like it's part of her life. Of course, Mm -hmm. it's part of her life. And and I think they did a beautiful job with Nia of of um, like mentioning it enough, like acknowledging it and and you know the, when it came to her family and 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 what that meant to her and and in her life uh but 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 it wasn't her whole character which is what right. happens very often yeah. it was part of her but not all of her yeah and they let her have a romance that had nothing to do with her identity as a trans woman that centered around it it was just it was a very sweet, goofy romance with Brainiac. And the only angst we really had was towards the end of like, I have to go back to the future. Then yeah. F the future. I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Which hot take. This is to me, Brainiac is the most, the best executed uh, romance in this show from beginning to end like because in, in this show sometimes the starts of relationships and the end of relationships can be really awkward like sometimes mm-hmm. they they often fumbled with uh like even a little bit Alex and Kelly getting together felt like here's the new love interest and like you could like see it coming from a mile away and it was a you know even though when they got going they were great um I really think that Brainy and Nia were the best executed romance uh like would it felt organic and natural from the beginning i mean my issue with kelly is i love her as a character i am so happy she stepped onto the show but we got her at the cost of losing james yeah yeah if we didn't lose james and kelly came in i think maybe some of that awkwardness wouldn't have been there but speaking of things we didn't care about Let's talk Ooh. about how the show treated James Olsen. Very shittily. <laughs> um, I actually just rewatched the first season of, of Supergirl and and uh, the first couple of episodes of season two. And I, I know that this happened because of outside reasons, which I'm not sure about. Um, but the way that they shafted him as mm-hmm. Tara's love interest was plain rude. And I don't appreciate, like, I I was never super invested in, in Kara and James. I, I don't mind them. I never minded them. I thought they were cute, like, and cute enough, but I wasn't, like, getting super invested in their relationship. Uh, but they did have proper buildup. They did have mm-hmm. chemistry. They had an entire season worth of buildup. Exactly. And then they literally threw it in the trash in the same episode that a white boy com- came on. It was blatant and rude i oh my god no i mean supergirl unfortunately had drama between seasons two and three with uh andrew kreisberg and he was ultimately let go from the series 
Um, and season two and three are kind of where there was a lot of questionable choices that kind of got stuck for the rest of the series, like James getting pushed to the side and then just being so unceremoniously dropped as a love interest. And then, well, we've already got Monel and we put all this time into Monel. So we're going to, I mean, I I do give the showrunners credit once they got the ball in season three of they're like, we're going to Casablanca them. (laughs) Yes. Like I give them credit for like, yeah, we're going to Casablanca them, but then they never like, it had been so long. I don't know that they were able to, them as the writers felt like they had a way to reintroduce James as a love interest, especially because he'd gotten with Lena by that time. Yeah. Which is like another relationship that was awkward at first, but I ended up really enjoying, especially in 3B. Uh, I I did like them, I, I, and I I am very resentful of them. Like also dropping them like a hot potato and just kind of giving up on them uh, after like a decent development in three B. They were just like, oh wait, we want to make Lena a supervillain. We forgot, break them up. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's what it felt like to me, at least. Yeah, like it, it felt like after season one, they just did not know what to do with James. So they just kept throwing stuff at the wall. And see, I think he could have worked decently as Guardian. But I, I mean, Eli and Gretchen can attest when we were doing co-reviews, recaps, um, I was throwing an absolute shit fit because James was now the CEO of Catco. And he knew he was the guardian vigilante and he was purposefully putting people to write about himself oh, over yeah. everything else, like a vanity project and hiding yeah. or deleting information. And I'm just like, even more than Carr reporting on Supergirl, this is just so many different levels of what the hell. Yeah. And like, let's say that you do that, but then you choose to actually explore it right because there 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 could be like a Watsonian analysis for it where where you're like of course he's like paranoid about getting written about in a bad light and he wants this superhero work for uh for for you know the people and, and whatever but they dropped it right it in the same way that they dropped uh the because that's part of what caused I think probably I don't remember very well the problem that ended up making him and Lena uh split up uh, was something that highlighted both of their flaws. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you can work on that. Like, that's great. Perfect. Like, that's something to develop. But nope, they just, bleep, whatever. And, you know, they never revisited it. And, and that could have been like a really strong arc for James because like journalistic integrity had always been something core to his character. And, like, it was kind of how they ended up writing him out of the show where he went and, um, created as well bought a, a small town newspaper to try and bring some integrity back to that town through the print it's just to me again like I have a journalism background and a lot of season two particularly I was like tearing my hair out we get to <laughs> season six 
And Cat Grant is like, I bought back Catco and you're going to help me turn this into a legit thing. By the way, I am very strongly hinting that you are going to come open about who you are so we can keep writing about the stuff we need to write about now without having to have conflicts of interest, blah, blah, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I don't care anymore. You guys just were so bad with it earlier. I don't have the capacity in me anymore to care. I mean, I think this is a problem that, you know, the, this this thing with James and, and season two and how they writ, writ, wrote journalism, which, again, I I, I actually also have a, a journalism background. Um, but and I had to kind of say they don't care about this, like and just let it go, because otherwise I would have gone crazy because that's another one of the big things the CW um, did that they really fumbled Kara's job, Kara's job as a journalist, mm-hmm. which in in season one, and I, I, I think I wrote to you, Diana, saying this, like, I am shocked at how good an assistant Kara is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to her being she a pretty shitty journalist. Her job. Yes. See, and my issue was when we lost Kat Grant, we really lost a lot of focus for Kara as a journalist. And it felt like they'd made her a journalist just so you'd have that thread that would tie her in with Clark. And I can at least appreciate that when Andrea came in, it was like they were trying to at least refocus on Kara's character as like her career as, you know, getting her reintegrating her back in like she doesn't she and William don't really like how Andrea is handling Catco. Mm hmm. And William, bless his sweet soul, was also a journalist. And we got to see a lot more of the journalism side once William came in. And I thought it made sense leading up to towards the end, finally, when Kat came back. And she's like, I want you to be my editor in chief. And I was like, that makes way more sense for Kara as a character with her job, just the stuff we've seen of her than her just being a reporter. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that they did make that distinction between Clark is a reporter. He's never going to be an editor-in-chief. That Clark is a reporter through and through. Kara is better suited to editor-in-chief. She's just better suited for that role. And I do like that they did manage to. I don't know if they did it on purpose, but it (laughs) did manage to make sense from like her being the executive assistant at the beginning getting experience in journalism and then just climbing up that ladder to Kat's EIC. I mean, she she maybe should have started as a junior editor um, instead of reporter. But yeah, um, at least they brought it back at the end. Maybe too late. No, surely too late, but... I at least saw a thread line. I don't know what the hell happened in Nia's journalism career, but I mean... <laughs> Speaking of careers that got dropped, uh, I know Nia still worked at CatCo, but I couldn't tell you what she was doing there. I mean, she, she was already sleeping a lot on the job, so they probably just did not notice when she started spending more of her time at the tower. Oh, I, I bet she's writing the puff pieces. <laughs> writing the puff pieces or she's just going to go sign up with the DEO and have that be her day job at this point. <laughs> We don't know. Maybe she did. There's nothing that says she was particularly inclined to keep up with her day job. Again, the show, there were a lot of things I liked, but they dropped 
character threads and plot threads like hot Ooh, potatoes. Yeah. A lot. James, again, is probably the best example of them utterly butchering a character. I yeah. loved their take on like, no, we're going to have a grown up James Olsen who, you know, he's not the newsboy. He's a grown man. He's very capable. He's an award winning photojournalist. He's got experience. And now we're not going to get him with Kara. And now we're going to make him the guardian and make it a mess. Oh, well, we'll make him with Lena this time. And now they're going to break up. And now we don't know what's going to happen with them. And Makad's leaving. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they and the problem is really, I mean, it starts with them shafting him as as Kara's love interest. But it it really, mm-hmm. like if they have just if they had just stuck to one thing that they started, just stick with it, right? Like stick with the guardian thing, or stick with the Lena relationship. But stick like with something, see it through to the end. It was like they were trying to throw spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck, but they didn't even boil the spaghetti first. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing at that spaghetti metaphor. <laughs> I do love a good metaphor. But yeah, and and I mean, since we're talking about James, maybe we should talk about uh, briefly about the that the, there is a there is a, a, a oh my gosh, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> There's a clear kind of probable cause for, you know, why they treated James so poorly. And it's not great. Right. Yeah. And it, it starts and with it, the, the letter R. Yes. Uh, you, you, can get, you can take you can take three guesses. Uh, it starts with R and ends with racism. And yeah. it ended up and it, it, it ended in, in the actor leaving because uh, and, and there, there are fandom reasons that are that are attached to this. But in the end, what, what he said was this show wasn't protecting me. Right. Uh, the, it, it wasn't so much because if the fandom was terrible, was being terrible to you, but, the, but you had this, uh, the shield and protection and you felt safe, uh, within the, the four metaphorical walls of your job, then you don't do that. Right. If you, if you get mm-hmm. decent storylines, if you, if you get, if you get the protection you need at, at, at cons, uh, even if the fandom is terrible, you're not going to, to leave a job that you love. Well, I mean, like you could leave a job you love if you there's something else you'd rather be doing. I think Jeremy oh, Jordan yeah. is the I really want to get back to theater and I don't blame him. I mean, they did much better with Wynn's character than they did with James. Yeah. Makad had an issue of the writing was absolutely failing him as an actor and with yes. his character. And I will fault the show for they did nothing to protect their actors from certain fan groups who were upset yeah. about ships yeah and i'm he said sorry that- when you're sending a photo of a noose to a black actor you need to sit the fuck down and think about your life choices because no, the- you're not getting a ship you like what the no. actual fuck is wrong with you just to be clear we're talking about the shippers who exhibit or support this kind of toxic behavior if you're a shipper but that's not you and you're still listening just continue on and have fun that is and, and and he said as much right he when when i think it was and they Twitter. accused him of lying i'm like well show us receipts we'll show us receipts i'm like he could show you receipts all day long you would still you'd make up an excuse of why you didn't have to believe him and yeah. i want to talk and like let we started it we started it. we'll come back to the characters really quick let's talk about the fandom 
since we stepped oh, on gosh. that landmine. I'm sorry. This is one of the most infuriating fandoms I have seen outside of like super hulock. Yeah. The latching on to a ship and anything that did not cater to them and their ship, declaring that the show is terrible. The show is awful. The show is queer baiting. The show is ism, ism, ism. The way that they would use other characters to try to vin, like thinly veneer criticism of like, well, these characters aren't really, they're not getting this. And I'm like, okay, but you're using that as a way that you think is a genuine attack and you keep looping it back to your ship. You don't really mean it. Yeah. Oh, Melissa deserved better. Well, maybe she did. Let, let me hear your argument. Oh, you're talking about you wanted her in that one ship. Yeah. It is. I mean, I quit reviewing partly because of that fandom. A, I was running out of time. B, I got tired of we were starting to get comments about, well, why aren't you talking about why can't we have this? Why did you support James and Lena? I'm like, what? Yeah. I think it is the kind of culmination of something that's been building for years in, in the nature of fandom that just exploded and and became like it just took over. It right? became it felt like this raging ball of entitlement of and it yeah. wasn't just super core like there. I remember Sanders when Maggie left. They literally hired a plane to carry a banner, like bring back Maggie or something along those lines over the production. And literally they had to halt production until the plane left. Gosh, like there is stepping over a line, people and fandoms and Supergirl definitely stepped over the line, definitely stepped over the line. Like the actors, like they were very open at the beginning of the series, like, and you just saw them shrink back from fandom engagement every year. It continued. Yeah. Yeah. That's like inexcusable. I'm sorry, Diana. Like actors who would come on like um, Rahul when he came on. As, oh, gosh. You know, like love interest. Like he, so he called them hooligans. And I mean, yeah. Rahul has his own issues, you know, fully. We understand that. But the point was they did harass him for a single guest episode. Yeah. Oh, like and I, now, oh no, go down. Like at a certain point, I had to like divorce myself entirely from like the fandom to get any enjoyment out of the show because same there there was yeah. just nothing engaging. It was just this wall of angry shouting into a void. Yeah. And now they claim to love Jack. <laughs> yeah. Because he was good, by the way, like he was a good character. And maybe if if there they hadn't like if, if Rahul hadn't gotten harassed, maybe he could have been revived by crisis. But no, I just it is the level of entitlement that went into this of like you have queer representation, you have good queer representation, multiple levels of good queer representation and still throwing a temper tantrum and saying queer bait. We got queer baited when the show was very upfront multiple times. Like, no, we are not writing this as a relationship. Yep. I'm sorry. You clowned yourself. If you won't take them out their word that they're not going to give this to you and you create these expectations. I mean, they did not queer bait you. You queer baited yourself. 
And there was like the constant like trying to dismiss it, like saying, oh yeah, we also ship Dancing and we also ship um, Brainy Ania, but it should be this. And like they keep, and sure there probably are some of that fandom who like genuinely engaged with the other ships. But the fact is, the fan content isn't there. It's not there in like yeah. the fanfics or the gifts or just like the metas that are written about it. Yeah, it's, it's all there. about that ship. And that's why I said eventually, if you follow their discussion points, it tells on itself. Yeah, it's li- like the fact that uh, way back season two, three, when this was starting, there was a there was a there was a whole uproar about, oh, like how James got shafted. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, we agree, bad look, terrible. Um, but then also uh, when, okay, so you're angry on behalf of James, you see that there's a, the underlying racism there, but then James started dating Lena. And, and your response was to send him photos of a noose and send him death threats. So where was this outrage about James getting shafted? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about that. Ultimately, it wasn't about about uh it was just about the ship and like don't get me wrong it's okay to latch onto a ship like how oh, I, I would really like this to happen it doesn't happen we latched on to super core in season two before we were like oh wait no that that ship has grown toxic like we thought it was a great ship in season two like it's okay to like a ship it's okay to latch onto it and be disappointed it didn't happen Right. It's OK. Like, I'm I'm always going to be disappointed that that motherland didn't go uh, with with Rael and Abigail like that. I would have mm-hmm. loved to see that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's a show that you're not writing and you and, and there's a certain respect. I mean, you're not writing it. You're not financing it. Yeah. You are not working on it. You're not acting in it. Yeah. Ultimately, it's not your decision. And ultimately, it is your decision. What is your decision is, can I live with this not being canon? And can I live with this ship existing or not existing and and just quit like I this is a dumb example, but I, I, I've never watched the sixth season of Gossip Girl because uh, Chuck and Blair got back together. I was like, nope, I'm not not doing that. Yeah, you're allowed <laughs> to stop watching a show if it's not bringing you joy. Marie Kondo that shit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's the thing that I that I really want to want to emphasize that it's it's okay to ship it. It's still okay to ship it today, like ship it if you want. But the the problem is when 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 that's mixed with entitlement and treating a ship like a cause, because shipping is not a cause. It's not activism. And I think you sent me that that are that like it was like a meta analysis, right? Um, I might have. Yeah, shipping is not it's it's not a. a social justice cause. It's not something that is having like real world because sometimes you read, uh, you know, stuff like this in, in, in social media on Tumblr and, and Twitter, which where it's like, it's so important that this ship happens because the society and I'm like, what? No, <laughs> like that's so there's a mix of entitlement and and also like a sense of righteousness of moralizing a, a ship mm-hmm. where in the end, it's not. <laughs> It's not that deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, we we know why you want the ship. I mean, and it's let's not even talk about, like, representation, because there's a lot of WLW ships now that are canon. And these are two white ladies. (laughs) This isn't like 
you know, Diana's favorite Wildmore over on Batwoman. It's not like Avatris over on Warrior Nun where you have, I don't know what race they've decided, ethnicity they've decided that Ava is, but we also, we obviously know that Beatrice is East Asian. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's um, New Amsterdam, there's the wilds, there's yeah. lots of, of, of ships where if representation is the issue, it's, it's, it's representation with intersectionality uh, where exactly. at the very least one part of the ship is not white. Also, Speaking of Wildmore, and then we'll wrap up this entire thing because I, I do want to still get to some of the characters. Um, you know, maybe not go into other ships and, you, you know, invade their tags and invade their spaces to keep talking about your ship that is also like Lily White. <clears throat> go on your rant, Diana. I mean, do, do you want me to get me started on that specific rant again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Like, this is literally the episode for it. Let it all out. We can run a little long if we need to. Yeah, because, like, even up till today, I was in the Wildmore tag and someone found a way to make it about Supercorp. And I'm just like, why are you coming into this tag? Because it was like a reply to a post that was specifically in the Batwoman tag. And I'm like, why are you Columbusing our other ships? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, going and, and into I've, other, I've had, I've had the fanfic rant. Yeah, tag your fix properly, people. Like, if a, if you have a pairing in your fic, but they're like in ten percent of the actual content of the fic, maybe don't tag them as a main pairing. Yeah, I mean, I think this is as old as Tumblr. Right. Because this is something that that it's kind of like this thing that I was talking about where the fandom behavior has started a long time ago and now it's come to like its boiling point or something. But this has always been a thing. And I and I would love if people would tag their stuff correctly. Just tag your stuff correctly. There's no need to post hate on a, a ship's tag like there. There's no need of uh, to to invade other people's space like this is the this is like the 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 foundation of fandom in order to have a fandom be fun like stay in your lane what i ended up ranting i'm sorry (laughs) basically like there's been a complete and utter breakdown of shipping etiquette and conflation of real world issues that i don't think are particularly important or pertinent, I shouldn't say important, but pertinent. Hmm. Again, your shipping is not activism. And yeah, this was just years of awful. And all three of us had to divorce ourselves from this fandom to be able to keep finding enjoyment in the show because the fandom would have you believe the entire show's a trash fire. The fandom would go on Twitter and be like, we're the only ones driving engagement. We're the only ones watching. Like, well, no, you say you don't. You're blatantly saying one of you watches and then snips the clips and puts them on YouTube. And that's all y'all watch. So, I mean, really, really. And here's the thing, too. I understand. I have empathy for, you know, when you go into uh, an online community and perhaps it's it's somewhere you feel like you can belong and maybe you don't have that outside in the in the non online world. 
I have empathy for that. And in and, and that you, you kind of feel like you have to fit in and, and go along with what everybody's saying. But you have to be in you individually as a, as a fan um, talking to the audience. You have to be the one to, to be able to draw the line and say, shit, like they're harassing this actor on on Instagram. They're they're sending like this is the thing. Also, sending each other that like death threats and and oh my gosh, and the notes to like uh, harm your yourself and stuff yeah. like that. And and it's like to each other, like inside of the Supergirl fandom and sometimes inside of the ship's fandom as well. Like you have to be able to say at some point, I am not going along with this. That's where my empathy kind of ends because it's like clear this is not right. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll put a pin on that. Because uh, we do want to end the episode on a positive note. So back on a tangent from that tangent, let's go back to when um, I thought for the first three seasons, I thought they did a really good job with building his character up. He had a clear progression and, you know, Jeremy Jordan wanted to go back and do more stage work. And that's totally understandable. You can obviously tell that's his first love. And I thought they gave him a good send off. And I really thought the way they transitioned between Win to Brainy was so well done. So unbelievably well done that towards the end of the season, when Win showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He used to be on the show because it felt <laughs> like Brainy had just been the little brother for forever. I mean, is it just me or what, what did you do think? I thought it was seamless. And I also um I, I, I loved Wynn and Tara as a friendship, but I absolutely adore that there's absolutely no underlying romantic tension between uh, Brainy and Kara. Um, they I love were that immediately Kara. chaotic middle child and youngest child sibling vibes to me. Yes. I mean, uh, and poor Alex is just there suffering. Yeah. I mean, with <laughs> Brainy staying, that was just immediately like, youngest middle oldest sibling dynamic there was never this oh i had a crush on car and then i got over it and you know we're friends now i mean i i like that he got over it and they were friends and it wasn't really a big issue for them but i just loved that chaotic sibling trio it wasn't quite that same chemistry with win but with like brainy Kara, and alex i absolutely love them as chaotic siblings they're delightful yeah. Like Alex and Wynn did have like that brother-sister relationship, but it had a slightly different vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And then like Brady came in and he was like instantly like a torn in Alex's side. Yeah, he was like little annoying brother, but it also included Kara in that shipping dynamic. I mean, not the mm-hmm. shipping, but relationship dynamic. Yeah, I think Brainy, I, I, lo- I liked Wynn. Uh I I have nothing against Win, but I have to say that uh, adding Brainy and having Brainy stay on was an inspired decision. Yes, and I think he just gelled that overall dynamic a little bit better than Win did. And again, like maybe if Win would have stayed, I'd have thought the same thing. But it just, I will say, it goes to show how well they integrated Brainy. As to, I kind of forgot about Win <laughs> to mm-hmm. be at the end. I kind of forgot he was ever part of the team. Because and he, it just he, good. He's also a very distinct character because they could have yes. easily brought on a win 2.0, but he wasn't. He was very distinctly braining. Yes. And also Jesse Rath does comedy so well, and they leaned into his comedic skills. Um, 
Yeah. That did the good eating PSA they did in the final season with him and Kara. <laughs> well, well episode, what was it, 613 when he got possessed by that other witch? Yeah. That was like high key hilarious. I loved everything about it. That was my Nona Earp levels of hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, th- we talked about Kara a lot in the last episode of Ladies First about how, how we thought she ended up, even though I'm still in my precious little heart that's not at all cold or black, still rooting for adult Kenny to come back into her life. <clears throat> uh, I do want to touch a little bit more about Jean. Oh, Jean. Space because dad. Papa Bear, Space Dad, like he really is the patriarch of the Super Friends. And he filled that father figure i mean it wasn't just for alex that he did but also for Kara. even though we saw Kara reunite with her dad again it's just it's still kind of like hi dad here's my other dad almost (laughs) yeah but i i for the most part liked his character progression of like i was an alien refugee that was in hiding i was the last of my kind please pause my phone's ringing hold on like, I like that they did spend time touching on the fact that he's a genocide survivor. Mm-hmm. Like, Kara is an extinction-level event survivor, but Jean is a genocide survivor. He lost his entire family, found out later his dad was still alive, got to get some closure with him, but he still lost his father. But I liked that he got to have a fulfilled familial relationship with his new found family and his new daughters and his green son and Nia. And I mean, he really is just a father figure for all of them. And now he's a grandfather figure. Then, you know, when let drop, he's going to have his own son with Magan apparently. So you started with a man who had lost everything and they showed his clear progression of, acknowledging and reckoning with his trauma and then his healing yeah and i don't know and i mean here's the thing about the actor david harewood who played him uh you know he's classically trained theater i mean he he's a a very yeah he's a thespian i don't know that another actor could have pulled it off as well as he did that balance between pain and heartache and but being stoic and then that slow progression of letting other people in and showing myself of like I'm a genuinely kind caring man and this is my family and I'm going to guide and take care of my family does that make sense there's also yeah there's also a tenderness to him that I that I find really endearing and and he can do again episode 13 of season six just really tapped into like let's just go balls to the wall comedy (laughs) yeah you know and I love his version of like how they did Jean and how he played it off and then Alex like yeah sweet it's another dragon I get it this time (laughs) (laughs) and I like I think this show was at its best when it was leaning into that optimism and humor because it let the drama be more poignant as opposed to like season four where it got pretty gritty in places yeah 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 and season five when it got the worst 
Yeah. Season four and season five are, I can see what they were trying to do. I don't think they quite got there. Again, also in season three, I've mentioned this before. I still have a giant massive bone to pick with the fact that they did the entire world killer thing and Sam got to live, but they killed off every other one of them and they were all women of color. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not a good look Mm -mm. in the slightest. No. Just saying. Uh, Again, the fact that the only leading lady of color on this show is Kelly and she Mm -hmm. came in in season five. Four, right? Four, five. She came in after the hump. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it it took that long to have a leading lady of color. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back also to that that thing about killing William. Like, we have to kill somebody. Oh, let's kill our you know, one of the people of color that we have, it's just can't seem to completely shake it yet. You were going to say something, Diana? Yeah. And with Kelly, like we only really got like one episode that really dug into like her character from a racial standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it it was was an amazing. Yep. And it was an amazing episode, but it was one episode. Mm hmm. And she even pointed out in the episode, like, I am always here, like, smiling and being caring. And it's like, yeah, that's all that she's done. <laughs> We've hardly gotten, like, even from a not racial st- standpoint, we don't get that deep into her character. Uh, the really. back half of season six is when we fi- is when they finally started treating her as, like, she's got her own stories to tell. And they're just as valid as the rest of the team. Yeah. And I loved what they did with the last part of the season, but it shouldn't have taken them until the final, however many episodes of the series to do to do it. And it's not like uh, we would all love if everything could be fixed now tomorrow. Right. But but sometimes like just a a step is appreciated, like as much as I love um, the actress who played Sam, whose name I have now forgotten. Oh, yeah. Odette, yes, Odette Annabelle, I think. Uh, she, you could have easily cast that role with a person of color because that was a very meaty role of, of like a very complex character that, that would have been amazing if you cast a person of color in that. Well, and again, I mean, Odette Annabelle is actually Colombian and Cuban, but oh. it's European descent for like a lot of it. For mm-hmm. her dad, her Colombian father is like, it's European descent, but her mother is Cuban and that's like Afro-Latina descent. Yeah. So she she is biracial, but she's white passing, I would yeah, say. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Like I, until this moment, this is when I'm finding out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, the, she is very easily white passing. Yeah. And, or again, Andrea, mm-hmm. we already touched on that. Um, so the, if there's great feelings in the show. It's like they, until the final few episodes of the series, did not do a good job handling most of their characters of color. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. That's what I'll leave it as. My other final big gripe, and it's a small one. It's a small one, and I didn't get it in the last episode, but it was just, I felt my soul leave my body when I saw it because it was just so cringe-inducing. In the final episode, when Alex is like, hey, no touching without consent. Oh. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my Lanta. 
they really had her say that. Oh man. I, I understand that there's a thought behind it, but that was just so utterly cringeworthy. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you really couldn't give Kyler Lee anything else to say that was a witty one liner. You had to do no touching without consent. Oh my gosh. Anyways, yeah. that's my final pet peeve. What are you for the two of you really quick before we wrap this episode up? I mean, season five. <laughs> like all of it. Um, season five got the shaft because of the crisis and they had to do the most legwork to change. And I felt like they just couldn't find a good story to tell it. I um, I disliked season five so much that I didn't watch season six until halfway through the season. Uh, I really, really, I, I, you know, there were there were a lot of of aspects, uh, including and and the biggest one is crisis. Like crisis is a big one, but also uh, the storyline that they chose for season five uh, in regards to a lot of the characters. Lex, uh, Lena, uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Kelly, Kelly's non uh, storyline. I I just I just feel like if there's a misstep, it, it's season five. Like, oh god, everything that that like for example, what what happened with Lena? Every single nuance of of what that of that conflict actually was that that this was building up to. Like of deliberately making her find out in the worst way possible, and everything that happened in seasons three and four, uh, and and it was it was a meaty kind of uh, very complex kind of conflict because it wasn't like Lena was uh, gonna it's she wasn't gonna take it well, but also because of how she found out. But then mm-hmm. in season five, they were like, no, it's because she was always going to take it badly because now she's a cartoon villain. And I'm like, I feel like season five did a disservice to both Lena and Kara as a character like Kara, who was suddenly a pushover in a way that she wasn't previously. Uh, and and Lena was suddenly dumb, <laughs> like, in a, yeah, <laughs> like genuinely dumb, like it was a Tyrion post season four in Game of Thrones kind of. No, you're dumb. Uh, when before you were smart, uh, there was also like Lex coming back, uh, in such a big way and taking up so much screen time in season five. Everything great about him, I hated by the end of season five, right? Everything great about him, his writing, about John Cryer's performance. I was like, I'm done, I'm done with you. And this part of why I could not enjoy his return in season six because. How do you make Supergirl the Lex show? Like, in, he had so much screen time in 5B. It's ridiculous. Um, I, season five, I just dislike season five. And I think, you know, Nia had one of the best storylines in season five, but it was very little of season five. Uh, and it just, I kind of, I have to be completely honest, I kind of have to ignore season five in order for. Uh, to enjoy like the like season six I had to be like okay, okay, I, I'm at a point where I can forget that season five ever happened uh, I really I That's really fair. really 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 don't like season five uh, almost the entire like I think easily 70% of it I hate it's totally fair like, Diana goes, your pet peeve so like I mean your vote 
said pretty much everything that could be said already. But like season five is feels so like pre-crisis, post-crisis where you have like a lot of cleanup where they're just trying to like make make the treads from crisis fit into place and still try and tell their story. And it just, it does not work. No. So is that your final pet peeve? Yeah. Man, mine was just so small and you two have these existential season long <laughs> issues. Whatever. I stand by it. I didn't get it out and I, it, it's been festering since our last recording. So I, I can sleep at ease at night now. Well, to end on a good note, like after the dumpster fire that was season five, in my opinion, and this is like, again, this is not, I do want to point out, like Diana said, it's not to dunk on the writers because, you know, writing for a TV show, a 22 episode TV show is a tough. And when they tell you your storyline has to fit another five shows and you have to have like a an world ending event and they did what they could. And um, even though I don't agree with the writing choices, I don't like to just like dunk on writers because that Mm -hmm. that just doesn't make sense. Um, I don't like it, but that's me, right? That's just the me thing. Uh, But to end on a good note, I do think that they did such a phenomenal job in season six that at the end of the day, my takeaway from the entire show ends up being overwhelmingly positive uh because how well is season six is like a redemption season for kind of almost the entire series yeah Yeah. and i mean season six is just so good it's just so good good. i i it made me sad that the show was ending (laughs) yeah like we we said that last time right like Mm -hmm. it's so it's kind of it's amazing but also kind of sad that the show really found its rhythm in the last season. Oh, overall, I think culturally, again, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but I do think it really opened doors for having woman, women led superhero series. Um, you know, we've got again, one division, which we don't have time to talk about how bad the casting is for Wanda Maximoff and the mm. MCU and the, all the issues and anti-Zeganism that goes along with that. But the shows themselves, like getting the women being able to lead and be the lead characters and have it centered around him. I think Supergirl went a very, very, very long way into opening, really just kind of blasting that door open. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Sarah from being part of Legends to being Sarah and Ava being the de facto leads. And I'm not saying Legends doesn't have his own issues either. No, no show is perfect. Every show has its problems. No great whatever under capitalism, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Point (laughs) being, I do think the net is positive for Supergirl. And I do think her legacy is a positive. And I certainly think that the show did a far, 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 far better job with Kara and Supergirl as a character than the comics have. I mean, Mm -hmm. the comics made her date Comet the Super per horse so and a serial killing demon and oh. yeah the comics have just screwed car up so so badly and i will say i've noticed since supergirl the show started it really kind of reset the tone for how people conceived supergirl 
in the comics and the stories they began to tell about her. And I think mm-hmm. that is definitely a bet po- net positive. Mm-hmm. Y'all's yeah. final thoughts? Alejandro, you want to go first? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, I think I don't want to use the word overrated, but I think that a lot of people are very unfair to Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And often I, I see people who haven't even watched it or who watched like the first season. I, I, I read like, I don't know why YouTube showed me a video the other day of a person who was like, I gave up on Supergirl because it was dumb in season two. But now I went back to look at the final episode and this is my scathing review of it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, I think that the most important thing is that you see Supergirl for what it is, which is a show that is, you know, it, it's. It's a show that's trying to to be positive and be, uh, uh, you know, about hope and and it's cheesy and it's goofy. And that's a good thing. Uh, like, I, I feel like I feel like ultimately it is a show that uh, that leaves a, a good taste in your mouth. It is a fun time mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Uh, so. I don't know. I, I, I think in season six is amazing. So I think that in the end, uh, I leave Supergirl glad to have watched it. Uh, I love Kara as a character. Like, and, and there are lots of characters in Supergirl that I take away with me that I'm going to love forever. Uh, so yeah, those are my final thoughts. Diana? Yeah, um, like it was a hugely influential show. I mentioned that I probably would not be here on the fundamentals if not for it. It changed so much of my life. It helped me find words to stuff I did not fully understand at the time. Um, I'm like looking back on it, I can only think on it fondly, even for like all its faults. Um, it's gonna have a lasting impact. Also, Alex Danvers walked so Sophie Moore could pin women to walls. So I'm forever <laughs> grateful for that. Yes. So that will be my final word on it. Yeah. Well, that'll be about it for us. Um, we will be back in 2022. Maybe not this particular incarnation of hosts, but we will be back in 2022 with more episodes. Thank you, all of you who have turned it tuned into this two-parter especially if you've listened to all of it because i know we got pretty ranty so hopefully um we don't get yelled at too much don't forget we have a slew of other podcasts on the fundamentals network obviously ladies first we also have that's haram beneath the screen of the ultra critics anime attache which has started back up in their second season they're taking a look at cowboy bebop the anime obviously not the live version we also have cannon fodder all Bark, No Dice, and our weekly TTRPG live play, Faith Forge Academy, that is every Friday. So there's plenty more to listen to if you're like, oh, I feel overclimped. You all have some safe holidays. Again, thank you to Diana and Alejandra for joining me for this two-part journey. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>